Demystifying DMing, brought to you by Mimics and Monstrosities. Come check us out on Twitch and YouTube at Mimics and Monstrosities, and on Twitter at Mimics and Monstros. Hey there, folks. Welcome back to Demystifying DMing here on Mimics and Monstrosities. Today, we're going to learn about the process of actual dungeon mastering at the table and how to run the game when you have people sitting in front of you. We're going to go over some common issues as well as tips and tricks and things that will help your game run smoother once you're actually at the table with people sitting in front of you, rolling dice, and playing their characters. One of the things I've learned in my experience from playing the game over the years is generally, if especially if you're having people come and meet you to play D&D, or even if you're playing online, uh, anytime you go to meet up with everybody to play D&D, have everyone get there about 15-20 minutes, maybe even half an hour before you're ready to get started. That way, you can get the hi, how are you's, and the chatting, and the non-D&D talk kind of out of the way before you start playing so it's not distracting at the table. So generally, give everyone some time to settle in and get started instead of just trying to jump right into the D&D. Now, when it comes to actually running the game, there's one major, major thing that everyone kind of grapples with, and it becomes an issue, especially if you're not thinking about it, so I want to help you think about it right now. That main thing is when to ask for a roll. Now, generally speaking, this is D&D. Practically every action that you take could take a roll. If you really wanted to, you could ask someone to make a strength check to open a door. But you generally don't want to do that, right? Because that would slow things way, way, way down, and you'd be making unnecessary rolls, and what does it mean if a person fails a check to open a door? So, you want to manage when you do and when you don't ask for a roll. Now, at the beginning, this can feel a little counterintuitive, and it can feel kind of like you're letting players get away with too much when you decide not to ask for a roll. But, there's one key thing you should think about when it comes to whether or not you're going to ask for a roll. Make sure you keep in mind, as soon as you involve the dice, there's a chance for success and a chance for failure. If how you're running the situation doesn't account for both success and failure, you probably don't want to include a roll then. And that goes both ways. If they can't possibly succeed, why bother have them rolling? If they can't possibly fail, why bother have them rolling? So, for things like opening a door, doesn't really require a roll, right? Same thing with, like, lifting a castle. If your level 1 character wants to go over and say, I want to try and lift the castle, it is well within your right as a DM to say, you can't. And they can say, well, can I make an athletics check for it? It is well within your right to say, no, you can't do it. It's impossible. Now, there are different schools of thoughts on this in D&D and whether or not you should allow players to roll for absolutely everything or whether or not you as the DM should kind of tailor that and decide what is and is not possible to roll for. I'm of the school of thought of a little bit of a mixture of the two. I say be ready to be surprised. If it's something just outside what you think the realm of possibility is and you say, well, if you get a nat 20 or if you roll really, really high, then yes, then that's great, because that's the kind of thing where there is that chance for success. But at the same time, again, I'm not going to sit here and spend die rolls on having someone try and lift a castle when I know that from 1 to 20, no number on the die is going to make that happen. That's just wasting time. That's not to say that there's not going to be a time when a character is going to make a roll they couldn't possibly make. Because remember, there's multiple people in the party. Someone should be able to make it. If the fighter with an 8 dexterity tries to pick a lock, and the DC is 25, it's not going to happen. But if the rogue has a plus 10 to thieves tools over here, they could make that DC. Therefore, if the fighter tries it, yeah, the DC is 25. That's not changing. Roll all you like, you're not going to do it. Now, if you're the DM and you want to be benevolent and say, yeah, you, you do not have the capacity to do this, go ahead. Or if you want to make it possible with a nat 20, also up to you. Generally speaking, a good rule of thumb when it comes to asking for a die roll is, is there an interesting consequence for success and failure? Do both of those have an interesting outcome? This comes down to things like picking locks. Say you've got a lock that's a DC 20, and the rogue goes up to it and they roll an 18. 
and then they ask you the question, can I try again? This is a really, really common occurrence in D&D, that can I try again question, and it's kind of up to your DMing style to determine yes or no. This also applies to things like breaking down a door or anything where you're not rushed, but there's a question of whether or not you can do it. In theory, if the players take enough time, they could do this because there's nothing stopping them. Now, some DMs will say you try it once and that represents all of your successive tries, even if you rolled an at one, that's just where you're at today. You have to leave and come back later, basically. You can't just sit here and keep trying. For things like hacking down a door with an axe, though, that doesn't necessarily make sense because you can literally chip away at the problem. Eventually that door is going to be gone, even if you fail to succeed every single time, you've still been swinging an axe at it. One thing then is marginal success. Not quite succeeding, but not completely failing either. Let's go back to the door example and trying to hack it down with an axe. If your fighter goes up to the door and rolls a 14 on a DC 15, they didn't succeed, but they almost did. Let's think about what that would look like. Someone goes up to a door, takes an axe, and almost manages to hack it down in one swing. They probably still took a sizable chunk out of it. There's probably a good-sized hole in that door now. And then if they try again, or if they want to then reach through that hole and open the door from the other side, things are going to be easier from that. But the lockpicking scenario is one that really kind of plagues DMs, because the rogue can, in theory, sit there and just pick locks all day long. Generally speaking, I wouldn't even necessarily ask for a roll, unless it's like a super high-quality lock or a magic lock or something that's going to give them extra trouble. If it's just a regular mundane lock and they can spend all morning trying to pick it, well, you're trained in thieves' tools, so yeah, in time you're going to be able to work your way through that. That doesn't necessarily require a roll, because going back to the previous question, is there an interesting outcome for success? Yes. Is there an interesting outcome for failure? No. Might as well just let you do it. Now, one thing we can do here is we can add to the situation. What I like to do in these situations is make them a question. And it's all about framing the right question, too. If we go back to the lockpicking example, the question back then was just, can the rogue pick the lock? Given enough time, the answer is just yes. There's not really a no scenario there. But a more interesting question would be, can the rogue pick the lock before the guard comes around the corner and spots them? Now we have an interesting scenario for success and an interesting scenario for failure. We have a clearly defined diversion here. If you succeed, you do it, you get through the door, the guard doesn't see you. If you fail, the guard comes around the corner and sees you. Risk, reward, we've got both sides of it. Now that's an interesting question. Now there should be a role involved. Once you've gotten to the point where you can come up with an interesting scenario for success and an interesting scenario for failure, you're in a really, really good place because that means it's very clear, first of all, what the outcomes of the die roll are and whether or not you should make a die roll. Another scenario that DMs tend to fall into that you want to avoid is the situation where you don't want the players to fail because failure means the action stops. One of the key examples of this is knowledge checks. If there is a key integral piece of lore that the players need to know in order to progress and continue their investigation, and you have everyone roll knowledge checks and everybody fails, you have a couple options here. You can either say, well, never mind, you succeeded. Or you can say, well, I guess the action stops and you can try and figure out a way around that and try and figure out a way to bring it back around again. Either way, it's a little awkward and not the situation you plan for. Generally speaking, try not to hide essential information or plot elements or things that you want to happen behind die rolls. Because if they fail, they just don't happen. Now, if you still want to reward those that have taken training in these things, but you don't necessarily want to have to hide things behind a die roll, one thing that I've seen DMs do that I really like is just taking anyone who is trained in that skill and kind of just giving it to them. Who's trained in Arcana? Oh, the wizard is? Oh, you know this piece of magical lore because of your training, because of all those books you've read. This way, the wizard still gets to feel special because they took the time to train in Arcana and now it's coming back and benefiting them, 
but you don't need to hide things behind a die roll, and that is very, very beneficial. Another thing is if you start planning this way, if you start thinking in terms of what happens if they succeed and what happens if they fail, this is a really good mindset to get into in generally all situations because it means that you're not necessarily completely railroading through and the players don't feel like all of their success is a given. It feels like things happen if they fail, and it's a different path that they go down that they then have to dig themselves out of. In as many situations as possible, honor the players by allowing them to fail. Now, I'm not saying you should, like, kill them or throw them in prison, but allow it to go down the path of failure and follow the consequences and see what happens. That way it feels like their actions and their decisions have stakes, and it really feels like what they do matters in the world, because when they can fail, it means that their successes feel that much better. Now, another tip, a little bit of a smaller one, generally, let the players do their thing. Let them have fun. Let them go off and follow what they want to follow, pursue the leads they want to pursue, and generally let them guide some of the story. If you have this important plot, this, this world-ending story that they need to get to, they'll get to it, but don't necessarily feel like you need to be in a hurry to get there. You're playing, you're having fun. Let them show you with their actions what they want to do and how they can have fun. There's no wrong way to play, and there's no wrong way to have fun in this game. Disclaimer, unless it encroaches on the safety, health, mental, physical, or otherwise of the other players, DM, or other people around you, because, you know, that's not cool. But generally speaking, as long as everyone's playing in good faith and having a good time, there's no really wrong way for them to play. Let your players show you what they're interested in through their actions and follow that up. Now, it might feel like you're getting behind schedule, or you're not doing what you think they're supposed to be doing, Generally, as a DM, it's a good idea to kind of let those ideas go, because ultimately, the whole point here is to have fun and tell a good story. Your players are having fun. Don't fight it. Have fun with them, and trust that they'll get to the stuff that you're interested in again as they come around to it. Another big thing that I kind of talked about in my first video that relates back to that is wait time. If the players are stumped, don't know what to do, and lost in thought about something, talking to each other, don't necessarily feel like you need to jump in and give them either a hook or an interruption or a clue. Let them sit and think and riddle it out for a second. That's part of playing the game, too. Just make sure that everyone's included, and make sure they don't go for too long. At some point, it might be time for you to throw them a bone, but give them some time. They might surprise you. This kind of ties into my next point, also, which is... Make sure everybody is engaged in having fun and getting an opportunity to have fun. If, say, three of the four party members are lost in thought and have this wait time where they're trying to figure something out and they're thinking about it and not necessarily doing anything, and the fourth party member isn't there, that's an excellent time to change the focus and go focus on that fourth party member and say, hey, what are you doing? It gives that player some time for spotlight while also giving the other three time to think so we're not just sitting there in silence. Managing the spotlight as a DM is incredibly important because it helps you determine, basically, when players get to actually play the game. As a DM, you can kind of sit back and have an objective look at the whole game and what everyone is doing, and it allows you to determine when, hey, this person's not terribly engaged, or that person doesn't necessarily look like they're having the most fun with this scenario, and then you can try and bring them in or give them things so that they will enjoy themselves when they otherwise might not be. You can do this in a number of ways, but generally speaking, just making sure that everyone gets a chance to talk, or at least, you know, asking a person what their opinion is, having NPCs specifically talk to their character if they haven't had a lot of time in the spotlight, is a really good way of going about things. Now, there's a number of ways to manage spotlight, but for the most part, make sure that at the very least, there's something for every character to do. 
If you've got a wizard, make sure they have some magic-y stuff to do. If you have a fighter, make sure they have some fighty stuff to do. If you have a bard, make sure they have some talking and charisma and performing to do. Play to their strengths. Give them opportunities to play to those strengths, because then they will have a chance to step up and take the spotlight, and everybody can get a chance to play the game and feel engaged. Another thing is kind of like a storytelling tip, which is give things time to breathe. Pacing. If your players are in a village, and they're really interested in it, and they want to talk to people and walk around and see the sights, let them take some time there. Don't just go to the village. Here it is. Here's some description. You talk to the mayor. Go to the dungeon. You're on your way to the dungeon. You get there. Forget the travel time. Now you're in the dungeon. You go through the dungeon. You fight the boss. It feels exhausting for you, and it feels way too fast-paced for the players because they don't get time to engage with all this cool stuff you're giving them. Slow down your pace and take some time and really let them engage and take in the space around them, especially when these things are actions the players want to take. Generally speaking, slow down your pace with those and really spend some spotlight and focus time on them so the players can feel like they're impacting the world and have some agency here. As a DM, it can be very tempting to want to skip ahead to the good stuff, but it's all the good stuff if you give it time to be. Now, a really big key way of making sure that everything is the good stuff is my next point, which is description. Describe as much as possible. Be as descriptive as possible. This takes practice, but practice it. It is so very helpful for both you and the players. Engage your five senses. Don't just focus on sight and hearing. Engage with scent is a really big one. If you can tell what things smell like, if they're eating food, tell them what it tastes like. If they're walking through the muddy swamp, tell them about how the slick mud feels against their boots. All of these things really help them feel engrossed in the situation. But also on top of that, as you start to describe things visually and what's around them and really take a second to paint them a full tapestry of their surroundings, this can give you ideas as well because you might figure something out in the moment that you hadn't thought of before that that's there now. Don't be afraid to improvise things in the moment as they come to you. It's where you get some of your best ideas. This also helps the players out, too, because if they have a really good idea of what's around them, that gives them ideas and inspiration for actions they might want to take and things they might want to do. If very idly you say as they walk into town that they can hear the ringing of a hammer on an anvil somewhere in the distance, that maybe might remind one of them, oh, I wanted to talk to a blacksmith. I'm going to follow that sound and go towards the blacksmith. You didn't necessarily plan for that. It was just part of the description, but something they're hearing and it's something they can act on, and it's then you have the players responding to the environment, and it feels much more natural. Your description will get better over time as you practice it, as you think about the color of the grass on the side of the road, or the sound of the wagon wheels rumbling through the dirt, or the sound of uh, wind whispering through the trees and their branches, or the smell of rain on grass. All of these things, just from a simple traveling down the road, can really slow things down, help with that pacing, and give your players a picture of what's going on around them, it help them feel immersed. Generally speaking, I say again, slow down your pacing. Let them feel immersed. Let them talk to each other. Talk to NPCs. Role play. Have fun with it. Don't just jump from important plot point to important plot point. Because if you do, it feels really fast-paced. There's no time to rest and process all of these things. Peaks and valleys are important. The slow moments help the fast moments seem even more impressive and exciting. For every slow, lazy morning they have riding on the wagon, that will help the fight in the sky against the army of dragon riders seem that much more epic. Another thing DMs ask about is things like funny voices or characters and portraying these NPCs, because they see things with, like, professional voice actors performing D&D, &D, 
and they get the idea that they have to live up to that standard. One thing you can really do is manage those expectations of your players, remind them, I'm not a voice actor, I'm going to do my best, and then go from there. But generally speaking, if you want to get better at those, the best way you can get better at them is just going for it and trying it. Now, you might feel a little uncomfortable, you might feel a little dumb going over the top with all of this. Generally speaking, as someone who has done theater in the past, going for it and being ridiculous looks a lot less awkward than discomfort and doing it halfway. If you've ever seen someone doing a performance or trying to perform, and they're clearly uncomfortable with it, and they're kind of doing it halfway because they don't want to fully commit and look dumb, generally speaking, that's, the, that's really uncomfortable to watch. But if you see someone who is just fully going for it and leaning into it and committing, even if they're not the best at it, it's still fun to watch, right? If there's someone trying to do a horrible, horrible goblin voice, but they're just going full-on into it and just having a good time, you're not going to care that they're not doing the best goblin voice in the world. You're going to care that they're trying, leaning into it, and having a good time. So as the DM, do your best to lean into it, commit, and just go for it. Your players are going to appreciate and enjoy it, and you're not going to look as dumb as you think you are. Another thing I like to say is, generally speaking, as a DM, you should be very comfortable with improvisation. First rule of improv is yes and. You should always be ready to take whatever the players are ready to do and build off of it. Try not to shut them down as much as possible, because that can make it feel like they don't necessarily have agency, they don't have choice, they can't make a difference. Do your best to accept and work with their creative solutions. If they come up with a creative solution that you hadn't planned for, if it works, it works. And the players can feel like they had a really good idea and it worked out, and they can feel confident in themselves and really cool and have a good time, and you can enjoy something unexpected happening, because you're playing to find out what happens. If you try and shut down creative solutions too often, it can make the players feel like their choices don't matter, but their decisions don't have impact, and it kind of has a negative reinforcement to the idea of, oh, I guess we shouldn't try anything fun because the DM will just say no. You're not necessarily wanting to shut down all creative solutions, just that one, right? But if you do that too many times, that's the precedent it sets in your players' minds, and they will stop doing creative solutions. Generally, I say encourage creative solutions. Give opportunities, especially at the very beginning, for creative solutions. Put a chandelier up in the middle of your boss arena with a rope leading to right over there so they can cut it and drop it on the boss and do a bunch of damage. And make sure it does a bunch of damage. If they have to spend two turns to get over there and cut the rope as opposed to just going up and attacking the boss, it should probably do more damage than they would have done in those two turns, just swinging their sword at the boss. Now, that might feel like they're cheating a little bit if you give them this really, really cool and damaging thing in the middle of a combat when all they had to do was cut a rope. But if you do that at the very beginning, you're encouraging them to engage with the environment and find creative solutions. Reward those creative solutions, and they'll search for more on their own later. Make them really good at the beginning and make them really worth it, and they'll use them more. Make it so it does 1d10 plus no modifier damage. Yeah, they're not going to do that again. They're going to be like, well, that wasn't worth it. Guess my most effective solution is to just swing my sword at it. So again, this was just a quick primer on some things that you can do, especially going into your first session, some ways that you can make things smoother when you run your game. I tried to cover as much as I could and pack as much in here as I could, but I know I needed to go quick. So for some of these, I may unpack them in a later video, and there's going to be stuff when it comes to running the game, especially encounters that I will spend entire other videos on in the future. That all said, I hope you find this information helpful and it helps you run your game smoother and you and your players can have a blast playing D&D together. As always, come by the Mimics and Monstrosities Twitch channel to watch us play D&D weekly, multiple times a week. This is the YouTube channel where you can find our VODs down below in the channel. And of course, stop by the Discord to talk to us about all things D&D related, non-D&D related, 
uh, asking me questions, asking me things that you would like to see future videos on, any of that stuff, just come on by, click the link down below. And as always, everybody, your players are having more fun than you think they are. Thank you very much. Have a good rest of your day.